Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Thanks, Darlene. Man, I really do love a good screen fade. Knock down that jumper, finish it. All right, people, welcome to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I'm Monica McNutt. My producer and sidekick extraordinaire, Bruce Bernstein, is on the line with us today. Um, And we've got a special guest, one of my boys from the DMV area. We've both been putting in good work in this industry. He's now with NBA TV and still doing his thing at NBC Sports Washington. And he was recently at the NBA Awards, Chris Miles. Chris, where are you? Oh, I'm back in D.C. Uh, you know, the nation's capital, ready to, to get the Wizards ready for free agency and then back down to NBA TV in Atlanta at the beginning of next week. So make sure you check for that as well. All right. Well, let's jump into this conversation. Thanks for coming on, Chris. We got lots to talk about from the NBA Awards. Luka Doncic, not Trey Young, your rookie of the year. Wait, before we get into the awards, do you remember, I'm sure you remember, when these awards were actually announced during the playoffs as opposed to what seems to be, it feels like it's been months? Well, I understand what they're trying to do, and I think that there's a push-pull situation here where, you know, people even say, oh, wow, why are there three nights between finals games? Well, you have to understand all the people trying to organize these things. So if you're, you know, the NBA and you're Turner and you're trying to put on a good show, it's almost impossible to do it during the playoffs or before the playoffs or during the finals or, or something like that. And you want every player to be able to attend. And so you have to kind of do it right after the season. Even then, it's still difficult to put together. You know, you have a lot of guys that are like, look, the season just ended. I'm not trying to you know, spend a day or two at some award show, especially if I'm not going to win. So just getting those commitments from guys, I think that's why – it's prolonged and it happens after the season. I think the best thing that could happen is right when the season ended, if you could have it right then, but then you got to think all the teams getting ready for the playoffs. Those are the people who would win the awards and they would show up. So it's kind of a push pull situation. Is this going to turn into the pro bowl? Like it is for the NFL where people just aren't interested. I don't know. Maybe I'm too close to it because it's great for me to attend. And and again, to be in a room with so many great basketball minds, to be able to talk to people and really get an understanding of who they are. But I do wonder if, because the NBA is so global, and you could see that by who actually won the awards, literally it felt like we went all around the world. I'm wondering if younger kids, like younger demographics, younger NBA fans don't mind as much as us crabby folks who remember when the awards were given out during the playoffs. 
Well, that's the other thing. You mentioned the awards being given out during the playoffs. There wasn't a award show. You know, so it's, it's one of those things, too, for the NBA to try to reach that younger audience to try to... I thought the show was great. I don't know how you feel about it, but I was sitting there like the comedians are good. Shaq is great as a host. The jokes were on point. Um, the, the kind of celebrities that showed up seemed to be the kind of people like, you know, Wale in the crowd and uh, Kate Beckinsale and, um, you know, Jay Farrell, Tiffany Haddish. I mean, they seem to get people that... Uh, seem to, to really be involved with the sport and the kind of people that, you know, if you like basketball, you might like th- these kinds of comedians and that sort of thing. So, I don't know. I, I thought it was, it was good in that sense, but it's hard um, to, to give out awards before the postseason's over. It seems to be the right way to do it, but to have a show and to try to put on a spectacle seems to be where their mindset is. I personally did enjoy the show, just so we can put all those questions to bed. I thought it was fantastic. Personally, would love to attend, slash cover, get all dolled up, celebrate the league that we love. I'm totally with it. But you bring up a very good point. Where do you stand in the conversation of these awards should include the postseason or should the postseason have a separate category of awards other than just finals MVP? What's your thought on that one? No, 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 no. I think that it's the way it is is the way it should be because – that finals MVP carries so much weight historically, at least in my not-so-humble opinion about it. <laughs> I look at it as when we're trying to sort out the top 10 and now top 20 players of all time, we can point to, okay, how many finals MVPs do you have? That's a, that's a threshold that's like, okay, when it came to the finals, you were the best player in a championship team. And for guys that, like Kawhi Leonard, you look at his regular season stats, and you go, hmm, his accomplishments don't really stack up. But we know what we've seen with our own two eyes. We know how great of a player Kawhi Leonard is. Well, those two finals MVPs tell his story. Or Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade had a great career. But the finals MVP that he got in 2006, I think, sits so high. Same thing for Dirk Nowitzki. You yes. know, like, great career, but the finals MVP is a thing that in the playoffs, this guy that year was the best guy and led his team to a championship. You know, it's not always the case. For instance, Andre Vidal kind of getting one in there. You're like, okay, well, he deserved it. You know, he, he played well, and he doesn't carry the same weight as others. But I think if you start factoring the postseason into the regular season awards, you take away what guys do during an 82-game season, and I don't want to do that. Interesting. I think to counter that, though, I would be curious if there was a single defensive player award for the postseason or for the finals. I would, because to me, it's funny you mentioned Iguodala. There's still a camp out there that believes that that was LeBron's award, even though they lost. But you definitely would have had to give Iguodala a defensive finals award if such a thing were to exist. Well, historically, you bring up a point that I don't want to bang on too hard, but I think LeBron James was robbed. I think he he should have won that finals MVP that year and maybe another year against the Warriors uh, where he was clearly the best player on the court and they just couldn't give it to him because the, the Cavs lost. But Jerry West has won in a loss. So I, I really don't understand why LeBron didn't win. Um, I think he, what did he average, like a triple-double in over 37 a game. And that, that was, it was just outrageous um, how great he was. And I think even watching the finals this year without LeBron, seeing how great Kawhi was, and it's still not nearly how great LeBron has been 
um, in his in his finals run. But people really, I think, negate how great of a player he is because of that three and five uh, finals record. Yeah, it's yeah, that's oh man, we've had some really epic finals down the road. Okay, that's enough revisionist history. What we would or wouldn't change. I want to double back to the actual award show that we did get to enjoy for this season. We kick it off. First of all, shout out to Tiffany Haddish because I think she's fantastic. But also, shout out to RJ Barrett who held his own against her stellar bright star. I thought he was fantastic. When she caught him off guard with the baby mom's comment, I thought he handled it perfectly. I'm not going to lie. That moment had me laughing. Well, what's funny is you say that, right? I was sitting there looking at the prompter and... You know, if you're, if you're a presenter, if you're someone who's in the business, I always look at it like, wow, what if what if I get the opportunity at any chance, at any point uh, in my career to present at something like that? How would I handle it? You know, that's, that's how I'm sitting there in the audience. I'm looking at the prompter, and Tiffany Haddish went way off script. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking, I'm like, what is she talking about right now? That's not there. And for R.J. Barrett to be uh, just a year removed from being a high school basketball player, to be able to sit there with that audience like, what are you going to do now? And for his line not to be in the prompter, and for him to be able to just hold his own, I I actually was amazed at his composure there as well. Because I'm thinking, man, if I was 18 or 19 and she threw that one at me and I looked up like, what am I supposed to say? I might have messed that up. I thought he did a really good job. Uh, That was funny. Hey, Chris, this is Bruce, and uh, I wanted to get your impression. To me, one of the highlights of the night was um, Giannis's, uh acceptance speech, where he got really, really emotional. Uh, to me, that just says so much about the guy that, uh, that, that he you know, gives so much credit to other people. What, what were your thoughts about Giannis's speech? Well, uh, you, you have to understand the backstory here, okay? First and foremost, I'm the president of the Giannis fan club, all right? So <laughs> my dad was, may uh, rival you for that, was, but okay. <laughs> I've been rooting for him since uh, I found out about him from Del Dins, who was the general manager of the Pelicans at the time when I worked in New Orleans. And he told me all about this guy and how to spell his name, and he was going to be the best player in the draft. I'm like, really? Why didn't you draft him? But I've been president of this fan club since that day, since the first time I saw him on a basketball court. So to see him up there already was a momentous moment for me. I was I was just excited to see him, but. Everything that I've heard about him or every, you know, the three or four times I've talked to him, that's exactly who he is. There is the, the way that he presents that speech is the way that he talks to you if you catch him in a moment off to the side. Um, and I, I want to make this comparison because I don't want to put too much pressure on Luka Doncic, but having the opportunity to talk to Luka for about five or ten minutes off to the side without a lot of people around, just kind of a, a one-on-one conversation to see him struggle a little bit with the English, but to, to really get an understanding of who he is as just a guy. I thought there was, there's a comparison there about the way that they love basketball, love the game, and what they're hoping for. I mean, Luca and Giannis have similar personalities in the sense that they want to be great basketball players. That That's like the main focus. It's not about being a celebrity. It's not about, you know, all of the spoils that come with the game. It truly is trying to be remembered uh, for being one of the greats. And I thought that came across in Giannis's speech. Um, his brothers were all there in the sense of not just, you know, in the audience, but around him the entire time. Everywhere he went, he was with his family. 
And same thing with his teammates. It was they were a group, and the only time he was alone was when he was on that stage. So it was just amazing to see the love of basketball between Giannis, his family, his brothers, and also Luka Doncic. I mean, it was truly a special moment. So I think it came across in that speech, but that's just who he is, 100%, 1,000%. So it's funny that you thought of Luka too, because so did I. And I thought when Luka got up to do his acceptance speech for Rookie of the Year, the passion came across for me, and then the humility came across for me. That kid, I, I don't know, Chris, and you, and we're both U.S. born, all of that, you know, came up through the AAU scene, competed at different levels. I almost get, I don't, I, I don't get offended, but I take it slightly personal when our amateur system sort of gets bashed and we, we come down especially hard on AAU and all of that, and we argue that that's why American athletes don't have the gratitude that you see from Maluka or a Giannis, I think we also need to remember that Luca and Giannis are even outliers for where they're from. They've just been able to accomplish it on our stage. And I do think there are plenty of guys, I mean, Trey Young, who are very grateful, or R.J. Barrett and our, oh, R.J.'s from Canada, never mind, um, who are products of sort of our system. So I don't know, like, I don't want to say that we're overblowing this because I know Giannis and Luca; those guys' stories are legit. But... Is American athletics catching a bad rap? I guess I didn't. I yeah, that's baloney. I, I don't want to fly off on a handle here, but who was the number one pick in the draft? Just, just Zion. You're right. You're right. Zion Williamson. Where is right. he? Where is he from? What Zion. is his personality? Okay, it's just that we have a bigger sample size of so many American athletes that we see the good and the bad. But you know what? It's come to a point now. We saw that especially in this draft with guys who have any sort of character flaw dropping. These kids are so immensely talented that if you come across any way, shape, or form with any red flags now, teams aren't going to draft you. There's too much money at stake in how much they're investing in you now, so they're going to pass on the talent because there's another talented kid because the talent pool is international. Okay, so I don't... I, I, I know that, that look, Mark Cuban with the comments about, oh, they, they play better basketball over there, yeah, Luca got the chance to play with grown men, um, but we're seeing kids now from America hearing that and also taking the opportunity to go overseas instead of going to college. So we'll see how, if there's some sort of balance to that force as well. But Zion Williamson, uh, RJ Barrett, uh, who's from Canada, so I guess he's not a, a, you know, a U.S. Uh, prospect, but these guys play Team USA ball as well. You know, they play against grown men. If you see any footage of LeBron's kid or Dwayne Wade's kid, they're playing against grown men in the summer as well. It's just not, you know, in their competition in high school or competition in college. But when they're playing in the summer, they are competing against grown men as well. So I just think that that's a bit overblown. It's a bit overplayed. It's a current narrative that I do not agree with. I will say, uh, talking to kids now, as opposed to 10 years ago when I covered a lot of high school sports, I think they're more mature, they're more ready for the moment, and they understand all of the things that's happening and coming their way at a younger age than I think kids did between 2005 and, let's say, 2008, where they didn't understand that they were going to become, quote, a brand and how much was coming their way. I think they, they understand it fully now, and we're seeing that in, in the humble 
personality of a Zion Williamson. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sorry I didn't want to fly off on a handle, but I have to defend um, the positive young men that are coming out and coming into the draft. No, please, by all means, fly off on the handle, buckle your seatbelt, let's, let's go there. Because I agree with you, and so for me, it's good to hear that perspective as well. And it's not, it's not that I want to take anything away from the international guys, because they are incredible stories. But you're right. We almost get enamored with this shiny new toy because we get to see so much of it all amongst our own homegrown folks. We've got more coming up with Chris Miles of NBA TV. But first, a word from Pure Hoops Media. Now that the NBA season is over and the draft is behind us, all thoughts turn to player movements, trades, and free agency, baby. Pure Hoops has a series of short NBA summer quick hitters podcasts from Adam Stanko and Eric Newman, examining possible landing spots for every player you can think of and some that you probably didn't think of. Check out our NBA summer quick hitter podcasts from Pure Hoops Media. I just want to remind everybody you are listening to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with my guest Chris Miles of NBA TV. We are recapping the NBA awards, and really, we got to touch on some free agency, Chris. Now, on the MSG 150, Alan Hahn, who um, is well-known in this New York area, challenged Pascal Siakam's award for most improved and suggested that D'Angelo Russell should have gotten that award, Bruce. I mean, (laughs) Chris, I apologize. Bruce is also involved in this conversation. What are your thoughts there? I agree. That's the only one that surprised me. Um, yeah, and I, I, I thought that here's my here's my deal with that. D'Angelo Russell has been through a lot, has been maligned, and was an all-star, okay? And really had to carry the load a lot in clutch situations for that team that made it to the postseason. It's not like the Nets didn't have any success. Um, and he was their best player, and he emerged to an all-star caliber player. Pascal Siakam, who I'm a big fan of as well. You know, I don't like to knock one guy when I put up another guy. But Pascal was very inconsistent. I know he's a champion now um, and had some big moments. But, you know, again, this is a regular season award. While he broke out, he didn't take the same leap um, that D'Angelo did. He didn't have to carry the same load. And I thought that D'Angelo showed me a little bit more during the season, especially with some of the stuff he's been, uh, been through off the court and what he's dealt with. So I was a little bit surprised by that one. Pascal Siakam, a very deserving winner, but my vote uh, would have gone to D'Angelo Russell. And I I was a little surprised that Pascal won. I thought he was the second-best candidate, but I thought D'Angelo Russell did everything he needed to earn that award. Clearly you disagree, so give me your argument because I think there is one for Pascal, but I would have uh, voted for D'Angelo. So um, to your point, I'm not – knocking D'Angelo and what he did was very impressive but I guess I will be a part of the camp that feels to a degree he brought some of that nonsense upon himself now should should he be penalized for that probably not but do I look at a guy like Pascal who has continued to make steady strides and then ultimately wins a final I get it this award was regular season I think what we saw from Pascal when we think of most improved for whatever reason is still a role player and I think that might have played against D'Angelo Russell because he also was an all-star like you mentioned but I don't think we think of what he did for that award for whatever reason and then yeah I'll be honest like I still think of D'Angelo and the situation out on the west coast when his name comes up (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, again, I think the, the all-star uh, bid in for the Brooklyn Nets to be where they were. And who's their best player? Well, it's D'Angelo Russell. I think it's Pascal Siakam. I, it look, it's starting to look like Kawhi Leonard is going to go back to Toronto. If Pascal Siakam next season is the best player in Toronto and Kawhi leaves, you know, if that's the case, then I think that I'll look at it and go, wow, okay, maybe he was better um, than I thought. But I think this particular season, looking at this year, as close as it was, I, I, D'Angelo Russell is my guy for being the all-star and being the best player on that team. Fair enough. Now, I, I would say, though, that I would give credence to the argument for Kenny Atkinson for Coach of the Year as opposed to Bud. But um, I think Bud did a tremendous job. He helped Giannis take it to the next level. That team obviously reached heights that they had never reached before. But Kenny Atkinson did his thing. Shout out to the A-10 where his roots are. What's crazy is there are so there were so many candidates for Coach of the Year, and I don't mean that because... You know, I get to talk to them, and maybe I start to like guys a little bit. But, man, Doc Rivers, uh, Mike Malone, they're just – there were probably six guys that if they won, I wouldn't have been upset with. I see what happens with Coach Bud. First of all, you know, the team that lead, has the best record in the NBA, typically that head coach um, gets a, gets an opportunity to, you know, lead the path to winning. And the team that has the MVP, that's typically had goals with the, the coach year, right? Um but when I look at what where the Bucks were before this season with the same talent pool and to see them take that leap that I thought that they would take a year ago, um, I got to give him credit for that, right? So I think that's why he won it. I think that was uh, most people's thinking on that. But, yeah, Kenny Atkinson certainly in that conversation for what he was able to accomplish to say that D'Angelo Russell, who did not actually win most improved player, uh, able to jump that team into the postseason, a lot of credit has to go to that front office and that head coach, for sure. Hey, Chris, so, you know, the Nets were a great story this past season, and really D'Angelo Russell was the main mover behind, I believe, their success. So now they're talking about possibly bringing in Kyrie Irving, who has talent, you know, out the wazoo, but has been known as a little bit of a unguided missile at times in the locker room, whatever. If, if the Nets say goodbye to D'Angelo and bring in Kyrie, is that really a great move for a youngish sort of team? Isn't that, aren't they kind of looking at possibly a repeat of kind of what happened in Boston when he joined a youngish team? You know, what's crazy about that is exactly how you just phrased that question. I was confused as to what they're doing. They're, they're, the key to their success is the culture they're building, right? So, if you re-sign D'Angelo Russell on a good number, I mean, the, the, the thing is I've heard, you know, teams are, I don't, I wouldn't pay him that much, but let's say it's a good number um, or he doesn't accept whatever offer you put on the table. I think Kyrie Irving, what is he, 27 now, looking at that team, I go, hmm, I don't know if that's the guy I want leading these guys. I really don't know. I think Kyrie Irving is a closer. I look at certain players, you know, can you get me a bucket at the end of the game? I don't, I don't look at Kyrie Irving as a guy that I want handling the offense, being the guy with the ball the entire game all season long. I look at him as a guy, okay, we have a spurt in the second quarter for four minutes. Go get me a bucket a couple of times. Our offense is struggling. Hey, fourth quarter, take over time. D'Angelo Russell is a guy that I look at as being a true point guard in the sense of running offense, 
make the right play, and then when we need somebody down the stretch, take some more shots. So I, I really I agree with you. I don't think moving in the uh, in the vein of Kyrie Irving and not having D'Angelo Russell is the right thing. And I wonder if D'Angelo Russell and Kyrie Irving is too much as well because now you got two guys who clearly like the ball in your hand. I don't know. I think it's a, it's an odd situation for Brooklyn either way. I don't know if one is an insurance policy on the other, but it, it, the next two weeks we're going to find out for sure. You know, another uh, guy who's uh, who plays that position that's name has been uh, associated with possibly changing teams is is Kemba Walker. Now he's kind of got an unusual situation there in that he qualifies for a supermax in Charlotte, which is a two hundred and twenty million dollar deal. But if he leaves, he can quote unquote only get one hundred and forty million. So while I think we all believe Kemba's a winner, and certainly Boston is looking to replace Kyrie and has shown some interest there, do you think a guy can really leave and leave eighty million dollars on the table, even if he does want to play on a team that's got a better chance to win? Now, there's two things here. This is a loaded question in this sense that. Um, Kimball Walker and I went to the same high school, played for the same coach. So I got to watch what I say here in the sense that we do have an actual relationship. So the first part of that is Kimball, um, for all intents and purposes, if you look at his salary and what he's produced in his career, he's kind of been the, oh, value contract slash underpaid guy. So you got to factor that into the equation. That's one. Two, he's 29. This will be his last major contract. Do I think that he wants to leave $80 million on the table without putting words in his mouth, without, you know, ruining a relationship, there's no way. I just don't think that he would make that decision. It's whether or not Charlotte's going to put that offer on the table. Again, looking at his age, um, his height, and, and what he is as a basketball player, I think if Charlotte offers him that money, he'll take it. Um, that's, that's what I believe uh, from that situation. But also, I think for Kimba, he loves basketball, like we discussed with Giannis and Luca. Where if it's a chance to win a title, maybe he does that for his legacy and what that would mean in the pantheon of New York City basketball players. That matters to him, and so I think if he could go to let's say L.A. for less and play with LeBron and AD and be that that Kyrie Irving fourth quarter closer for them, I think he would really consider that. Um, and I think that would be great for the league to have Kimba in the situation where you can get cardiac Kimba in a, in a playoff setting. So I think it's a, it's a loaded situation, but we got to see what Charlotte does first because I just don't see him leaving that super max on the table. That's all. Man, Chris, that money is so crazy. But I think you're right. This is what we've seen in the NBA today. Guys, outside of apparently, I guess, Dame, want a chance to go and win a title. And I honestly don't think you can begrudge them that. But I want to switch gears with you really quickly before we get ready to get your bucket, board, or block. Um, Earlier this week, Andre Iguodala, on The Breakfast Club, during a press tour for his book, The Sixth Man, makes a statement about the Warriors' medical staff. Chris, have you heard it? Well, yes, I have. Um... And the thing about that is I heard that before that came out. And it's one of those things where, you know, my job working for NBA TV, I kind of have to watch what I say publicly. And I've heard these kind of rumblings for about maybe five months now about the issues with the medical staff there. And so I'm like, wow, okay, I'm going to be quiet and see if this has any credence to it. 
And I think this postseason escalated uh, those those rumors, those rumblings, especially the Kevin Durant situation. I mean, when he came out with the cash strain, um, as someone that I've personally been through the Achilles tendonitis cash strain situation, first of all, that is a six-week um, injury, right? Whether it's just a cash strain, if the Achilles has nothing to do with it, and the, the talk was he was going to come back in three, four, five weeks, everyone knows that if you have a calf strain, uh, the next thing that you have issues with is your Achilles, and you have to rest that to it 100%. So I just think that entire situation was played out publicly and poorly. And to hear a guy like Andre Iguodala, who's been a finals MVP for that organization, who's been there, but has always been vocal, I think that's uh, a bad for the Warriors. Very bad. Oh, man. I, one thing I will tell you is that, although this one is unfortunate, I don't want anyone to think that I'm reveling in what's going on with the Warriors. The league has not failed to entertain us, or at least give us plenty of conversation for lots of sports talk and fodder. All right, Chris, so this is how we tend to wrap up segments here on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. You get okay. to give me, you get to pick one, a bucket, a board, or a block. Now, let me give you a quick explanation on what each one means as far as this podcast goes your bucket would be something that is a plus plus made you smile you know you really feel in this thing your board would be something that at first glance is not all positive but it has some silver lining to it think like a rebound right and then your block is something that you feel passionate about that you just want to get that out of here like you want to block it so before we wrap up this show with Chris Miles of NBA TV, I'd like you to pick one and then give me your explanation on your bucket, board, or block. Man, my bucket for the NBA awards has to be my man Shaq hosting. <laughs> I know he has a great personality. He's my guy. I mean, we, we're in the locker room at the same time down at NBA TV. So, uh, you know, A++, that's my guy hosting. Shaq was incredible. You saw everything about his personality. First of all, he's the godfather of flowers as far as basketball players go and rapping. I mean, he's the best that ever did it. Uh, got songs with Biggie, and we saw him do that at the awards show in the open. And then, you know, he's funny, and he's willing to self-deprecate a little bit as well. So Shaq is my A++, my bucket for the NBA awards. I think my board, which I almost could make a bucket as well, is just the star power at that thing. You know, it's just great to see so many uh, players show up and be in the same room. I mean, you had the logo, Jerry West, who I don't even think he was on screen at any point. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson being honored. Um, you know, looking around at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Mark Cuban. All of the people involved with the league, historically and currently, they were in that room. They got to enjoy some time together. It's like a big family reunion for the NBA, for the game of basketball. I think you're mixing some comedians. That's my, that's my board. As far as my block is concerned, man, that's a tough one. I don't really have one for the NBA awards. I, I really don't. I think, as for, you know what, the audience, I think you brought it up a little bit. I need to see some more energy. So my block is hopefully in the future the audience can bring it more like my block back in Harlem, okay? A little bit of, <laughs> little bit of energy, a little bit of funk, a little bit of noise when, uh, when guys like Shaq make jokes so that everyone at home understands that we were having a good time there. Maybe 
you know, instead of having so many people involved with the game, maybe have some more fans uh, get access to it as well. That would be my block if I have to have one. Maybe get some more fans in there because I think fans would have reveled in, in Shaq up there getting to, uh, getting to present. I think fans would lose it if they had the opportunity to see Shaq be so funny as opposed to us that we've, we've gotten kind of used to his larger-than-life personality. I agree with you 100%. I mean, even at the big award shows, they hire people to fill in seats and to make noise. So I agree with you. But that was it, Chris. I love that. Those were all strong. Great, you know, and it's great to be on your show with you. Buckets, boards, and blocks. Um, I, I love how people who can get buckets. I love to get some boards. I don't know about blocking shots. I'm, <laughs> I'm only six feet tall. So. <laughs> all right, Chris. That was Chris Miles of NBA TV. Thanks for stopping through, my guy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, McNutt, tell your pops to grab his whistle. It's time for the official review. It's now time for one of my favorite parts of the BBB pod, when we welcome in a piece of my heart, my dad, a.k.a. my pops. Hey, dad. What's happening? Okay, so this week during the NBA Awards, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird were acknowledged with the Lifetime Achievement Award, and I think no one would take any issue with that. They are most deserving of the award. But what was really cool for me was how they presented it and showing what it might look like if we had that rivalry in today's media landscape whether it be social media or all the talk shows, I thought that was super dope and it gave a really great perspective in terms of how dominant and what that rivalry actually did for the league. But I know you and Bruce, Dad, have first-time, first-hand, excuse me, experience and really enjoying that up close and personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, so, we, so, 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 Pops, were you a, a Magic guy or a Larry guy? It was, uh, it was, it was, it was, of course it was magic all the way because, uh, you know, we heard about this guy named Irvin Magic Johnson, 6'9", could do all the tricks with the ball, the flashy passes that you saw with the L.A. Showtime, but he still had it there. And Michigan was the, you know, big time favorite to get it done um, in the NCAA tournament with uh, Judd Heco was the coach then, correct? That's, boy, good memory. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, but then you heard about, oh, well, who's this? You know, this guy from French Lick and all this. And he went to Indiana, but couldn't deal with Bobby Knight. And he's coming out of here and throwing up thirty a game and all this kind of stuff. So, uh oh, we got something going on here. And uh, then you know they got together. It so happened that they went to the final game. And then they say, isn't that one of the still one of the best all time uh, watched uh, games ever? NCAA tournament wise. You're you're on top of it, pops. That was the 1979 NCAA championship game. That was yep. actually the year I graduated college too, and uh-huh. it was it was it, it remains the highest rated college basketball mm-hmm. game ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, whereas Michigan State, you know, Magic really kind of lit the fuse right for the program mm-hmm. there. And mm-hmm. but you know, with Larry, I mean, after he was gone, I mean, has anybody said Indiana State? As a, as, a, as a, even in the tournament, you know, for the right. last you know forty years, it was uh, yep. Yep. you know yep. two yep. remarkable two remarkable individuals. So right. you know you re- you remember Magic like in that nineteen eighty finals, right when Kareem had, yep. a, had a migraine or yep. something, and yep. and yep. you remember what he did? Oh yeah, forty two points, seventeen rebounds, played center the whole game. And and but here is what I tell Monica about that. I mean, young people, and, 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 and you know this too. We did not see that game live. That was on delayed tape at like at 1130. That's right. 
because, you know, the NBA wasn't like that, like it is now, you know? So, and, and people just don't comprehend that. Monica doesn't comprehend. What are you talking about? She thinks I'm not. She, she thinks I'm being funny when I say something like that. That game was not shown live. The NBA was on delayed tape, and 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 so we didn't see that. We we knew of it. We didn't see Magic uh, explode for the 42 game. And, and it's something else, Bruce. Uh, and I'm sure you're going to agree with me on this one. Yeah, you know, everybody likes to say that Michael Michael saved the league, and Michael was a well, you know, he was the man, but. George, the, the rivalry of Bird and Magic really was was the conduit that got this thing done. I mean, they were both, uh, you know, the HOFs, like I said, they, they got the award. They did this thing. You had the black-white issue. You had um, just the, the way they play. You had the Celtics-Lakers. Every, so you had co- both coasts covered. They really paved the way. they the ones that saved the M- NBA. And um, it's, so, you know, them receiving the award, absolutely. They saved the NBA. It wasn't Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was blessed because what happened, when he went, when he, after, after he beat Georgetown, oh, hard for me to ever say that, <laughs> and then he went, he went pro, ESPN came into existence around the same time he did in 85. Actually, ESPN was like 82, 83, and, and the marriage was fine. They had, they had programming opportunities there. They wanted to show Jordan when in Chicago. He was throwing up 35 a game, an exciting way, flying through the air. And, and that marriage was great. And then the shoes came along with that. But actually, before that, you had to step back to Bird and Magic. You know, I grew up in the Boston area. I went to my first Celtics game when Bill Russell was still playing. So that tells uh-huh. you how far back that I go. And right. Magic, Ma- Magic and, and uh, Larry really did reflect their cities also. Like no Magic way. was sort of the, the, you know, kind of the superstar. He was like, he was like, if they'd have had social media back then, just kind of like what Monica was saying, the way they presented it on that show, he would have been the biggest thing there was. And Larry, mm-hmm. Larry would have still been, you know, using a flip phone when everybody else was using a smartphone. You know, <laughs> he, was, he was like, you know, he was kind of like the, he got credit for being the blue collar guy. Yep. But, you know, yep. Yep. Um, yep. Magic was... His background was pretty blue collar also. It's just yeah. that because he was in L.A., everyone thought of him as like, you know, the jet set or whatever you want to call it, right. where Larry was the hick from French Lick. I think you said that before. But those yeah. two guys, I mean, they they reflected their city so well. And, you yeah. know, I was at ESPN for a long time and I worked with Magic briefly. Not a lot. But one of the things about Magic that's just so cool is that he treats everybody around him, no matter how big or how, you know, entry level they are, as if they were the most important person in the room. And mm-hmm. that's just such an appealing quality as a human being and just mm-hmm. as a nice guy. Mm-hmm. We, you know, I'm a Celtics fan who loves magic. Okay, so, so wait, guys. So wait. I think the imagination required for the intro was fantastic during the show. But if you had to compare... Is there anything to compare what Magic and Larry represented for the league in today's game? I'm not sure I understand your question. I mean, I know there's probably not, or it, there probably isn't as dynamic a rivalry at all. I would, I'm comfortable saying that. But the star power, I guess, would it, does LeBron oh. compare to what they were? Boy, that's a, now, that's a, that's, that's, now I understand. That's a tough question. I mean, because like, you know, like Bruce just said, you had... Boston and the Lakers. I mean, you have to know the NBA and the history of how long uh, you know, the hurdle for the Lakers to get over that 
uh, of beating Boston. Boston was a king back. Red Arback and Bill Russell and, and the domination of the Celtics and the Lakers. You know, Jerry West, they talk about Jerry West never, you know, winning one and all the times he failed and tried and, and couldn't get it done. Then you had the personal uh, rivalry of, of, um, of Magic and Bird coming in, the NCAA to go, come out of NCAA together, the rivalry they had, leading their teams. I mean, when you, when you thought of the Celtics, you thought of Red Arback, Larry Bird. You thought of Magic, you thought of Showtime, you thought of Magic and Kareem and Pat Riley. So, no, I don't think there's a rivalry out there today. You, 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 you might say um, uh, there was budding one between Durant and uh, LeBron, but then, you know, LeBron leaves Cleveland, goes to the Lakers, Durant gets hurt. Uh, and, I, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm reaching by saying that one, am I, Bruce? Yeah, I don't really, but that is about as close as it gets, Pops. I don't right. really think there's anything that, that can compare to that because mm-hmm. they were so equal but different. Right, right, it, right, 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 right. And, you know, and, and, and something else you mentioned, you know, they're talking about magic was showtime and behind-the-back passes and the glitz and glamour, but magic wasn't a uh, fly-through-the-air like Jordan. You know, he was, he was on the ground in terms of – you know, making passes. He wasn't flying through the air dunking. He could dunk. He's 6'9". He should have been able to. But he wasn't up in the air, high-flying and flushing it and all that. And Bird, that killed me. You say, oh, he's not an athlete. And, you know, that's you get into stereotypes and color and all that. Bird's hand-eye coordination was about the best you're going to find on a basketball court. The way, you know what I mean? <laughs> the way he could pop that jumper from way downtown and the things he did. And, and, and quietly, Bird was a bigger trash talker than anybody in the league. You know, oh, he was the he was the king. He was the king of trash talk. He would he would tell you what he was going to do, where he was going to score from, and then he would just stick it right in your face. It was, you know. I, I think they tell a story about he showed up for the uh, All Star the three point shooting contest, and then he walks out on the court and he looks over to everybody and says, "Okay, so which one of you boys is going to finish second? Fantastic. Well. Dad, I love when you dig into the memory banks. You knew them stats from that game, the whole thing. This is why. We were pumped to have you on. Well, right, Bruce knew all that stuff, too. He just, you know, he's a good assist man. You know, he's feeding to me to making me look good. Yeah, Bruce right, is Bruce? a great sidekick and uh, producer extraordinaire. All right, Pops, thanks right. so much. We'll get you back on next week. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thanks to today's special guest, Chris Miles of NBA TV and Pops for rolling through on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Now, for my bucket this week... I'm going to stick with the most improved award winner. That would be Pascal Siakam. I just love this kid, the way that he grew from last year to this year. I mean, honestly, my love for him goes back to his days at New Mexico State. Um, I thought he had a tremendous upside, but he's definitely been one that has had to work and scrap and fight, and he showed up on a big stage. So I think that's a fantastic bucket. Congratulations to Pascal Siakam. Now, that's going to do it for this week, but please don't forget our other weekly shows, From Pure Hoops Media, The Mike Wise Show, each Monday. Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov, each Wednesday. And The Pure Hoops Podcast, every Friday with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. And don't forget, the NBA Summer Quick Hitters with Adam and Eric. Free agency is about to be crazy. Make sure you get on those. All right, guys, that's it. We'll see you next week. And until then, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.